Welcome to Kid Tech, the podcast that goes behind the scenes with the movers, shakers, influencers, and makers in the kids' digital sector. Today, I am so pleased and excited to be here with Stephen Wolf Pereira, CEO and co-founder of Encantos. And this is an episode that we've been trying to put together for a long time. Stephen, welcome. Thank you, mate. It is a true privilege to be on this podcast. So it's great to finally connect. So you're CEO of Encantos, and I want to talk all about that. But before we go there, um, let's talk about you. So like, how, how did you get here? Like, what's, what's your journey been? What's the journey been? Well, it's been a long, strange and winding road to get to this place. But I feel that, you know, in hindsight, this is what I was really meant to build. Um, my family's from the Dominican Republic, but I was born and raised in New York. Um, so fully bilingual, bicultural. Um, and I worked in a variety of different industries. I started my career in finance and in, in private equity. Then I worked in technology for uh, almost 15 years. I also worked in media. Um, I worked in advertising. And then I worked back in technology as the CMO for three different uh, large technology firms. And I feel that combination of experiences, the common thread has always been building brands and truly understanding how to apply data and insights to understanding consumers. Mm. And I feel that when I had my first child in 2015, it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks that there really was nothing that was one culturally authentic and representative of what kids look like today, uh, especially in the States, uh, over half of all kids are diverse. Um, and now that I had little ones, I really wanted them to also learn 21st century skills. Mm -hmm. And so what a great opportunity to actually build a brand that would be grounded in both of those concepts. So when you think of Encantos, I mean, how do you describe it to, to like outsiders, investors, partners, whatever, like what is Encantos? Sure. So Encantos is a family entertainment education company, mm -hmm. and we are building direct to learner family brands. That's very cool. Um, direct to learner explain that so we have a thesis that um and it's certainly being you know kind of uh played out during the pandemic but every single brand every single company every single consumer experience is going to go direct you need to have a one-to-one -one relationship with the consumer and if you think about what was largely the theme of the 20th century which was all about um, economies of scale and mass markets in the 21st century, it's all going to be about markets of one. How do you actually have mass personalization? Right. And I truly believe that going direct to the consumer, and you see it in so many different industries, um, and you see a lot of direct-to-consumer brands popping up, mm. I feel that that is going to be one of the most important macro trends of the 21st century. And so we just kind of... Um, take that theme and modify it a bit where we, instead of focus on consumers, we're focused on learners, mm. we're focused on families. And so when you think about kids and their parents and what the parents want their kids to learn, we want to make sure that we are providing both the content, the curriculum, the culture, the community, all direct to the learner. Right. And I mean, if, if you were starting this today and I sort of ask why now, I think, you know, mm -hmm. to your point, pandemic would be the obvious reason, but, but why mm -hmm. did you start it when you started it? Cause th those trends have been, have been kind of bubbling for a little mm -hmm. while, right? Yeah. I mean, look, it's, um, it's interesting. I worked, um, 
as a, as a CMO of three different tech companies, as I mentioned, and working in this kind of intersection of technology, entertainment, advertising, media, marketing, the consistent thread has been we are now in the AI era. Mm -hmm. And when you understand that AI is going to be so transformative, um, that anything that can be automated will be, mm -hmm. that is going to fundamentally change consumer experiences. And when you think about where we are right now in 2020, think about when the iPhone was introduced and in 2007, could you have ever imagined the industries, the companies, the experiences that were developed mm -hmm. um, in 2007? Now, you could have never imagined a lot of those businesses. Now, fast forward in 2020, you know, pandemic or not, you are actually at the beginning of the next wave of innovation. Mm -hmm. You are going to see how the first 5G phone, which I think, you know, it's really going to be Apple that will help bring it to the masses. Mm -hmm. um, it's not going to be overnight. It's going to take a decade or, you know, plus or minus for it to unfold. But when you truly see the first 5G experiences, and now you really get to see the internet of things where everything will be connected, and there will be so much data being transmitted from all of these devices being, you know, connected, all that data will then fuel a revolution in machine learning. And you will now have AI start to take off exponentially. And when you have AI-driven experiences, they will appear magical. Mm. Like when you come out of your Uber and you don't have to pay, you've just changed consumer behavior. You never look at a taxi again. You look at taxis and it's like, okay, this is a dumb experience. Mm. So once you actually have predictive analytics and machine learning elevate consumer experiences, if you are not using some type of AI-driven experience, you're actually going to be left behind. And, and, then the, and then, and then, and then, one last note: when you actually have all this data, and obviously five G, the next kind of uh, truly um, big consumer application is going to be the combination of AR and VR. Because mm. when you could download four K video in a second, just think about how transformative that's going to be for the industries that I care most about: entertainment and education. I'm instantly gonna gonna move away from the questions that I that I thought I was gonna ask because this is such an interesting thread. <laughs> so when so when you think about about those those directional trends, which which I totally subscribe to, like, mm -hmm. and then you think about those intersecting with COVID, mm -hmm. like, and, and and sort of the pandemic impact of of sort of you know ninety percent plus of all kids being at home, like, what what is what is getting what do you feel is getting accelerated more than others within all of that? Because one of the things like we haven't seen any anyone sort of really blow up in VR lately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I still feel that AR and VR are going to be a ways off because it truly is going to be hardware dependent, right? right you need right. Apple. I just feel like Apple and Samsung is kind of like two of the largest players. There are lots of other folks, but, you know, when Apple makes something so simple that you just press the button and it's beautifully designed, I feel like that's mm. when these things will start to take off. Right, right. Um, so we're not there yet, right? Like we, we have to see what comes out. There's rumors that there'll be with the first 5G iPhone that you'll start to see some of the AR functionality built into it, but mm. it's a little bit chicken and egg. And so people can't wrap their heads around it, but you, you know, you and I both work in tech. We know it is coming. Mm. And when it hits, it'll hit big because the adoption rate of new technologies, new hardware, it has just so accelerated. Mm. And so, especially now when you think about every single industry that involves large gatherings of people, that whole business model must be rethought. And so I promise you that all the large firms, they're making massive bets on AR and VR. 
I mean, obviously Facebook bought Oculus, Google has their initiative, Amazon has their initiative, Apple has their initiative. So it's just a matter of time of when that hits, but you know, it'll be a couple of years because you need the hardware. And so your bet within all of that is, is around very specific types of content for, for very specific groups fundamentally. Mm-hmm. So, you, so, so do you feel Encantos is really sort of building into that emerging sort of content distribution framework? Is that a fair way to describe it? Definitely. I mean, the, the way that we think of it, it's, um, it's a three-tier architecture. So we have entertainment on top. We have education focused on 21st century skills in the middle, and it's backed by technology on the bottom to really power and connect it all, um, you know, all the digital experiences for sure. But, you know, we ground all that in purpose because I feel that that is one thing that truly sets us apart. We're actually a public benefit corporation, similar Mm. to the way Patagonia is and some other brands. Um, so we actually are truly purpose driven and we're trying to build brands that are going to really say something that are going to be meaningful. And I feel that when you think of millennials now being the largest cohort, they want purpose driven brands in their lives. Mm. They don't want their kids to just watch the next, you know, toy story Four. like, did we really need that? I don't know. Um, I think that, you know, parents want their kids to be learning something, to learn through play, to be engaged, but also that things, that the things, the brands they bring into their lives are going to be purpose-driven. And do you think that sort of really distinguishes from so much of the YouTube ecosystem and some of the YouTube content creators that have emerged, right? Because, I mean, I I suppose there's probably some of them that are, that you Mm -hmm. can describe as as purpose-driven, but I mean you know, a lot of them clearly aren't. I mean, it's just pure entertainment. Yeah. Like, how, how do you think about it? So do you, I mean, I suppose, you know, how, how do you think about that, that whole ecosystem, particularly as it relates to millennial parents? Sure. So, I mean, first off, the thing I love about the education space, or, and, you know, even entertainment as well, but it's not a zero-sum approach. When you think of these things, like Pepsi, Coke, that is a zero-sum industry, right? Like I'm stealing share from Pepsi for Coke to win. If you actually create, you know, Mickey Mouse and you have Spider-Man and then you have our beloved brand Canticos, which is now the number one bilingual preschool brand, you know, all those things can win. So I feel that it truly is a wonderful industry where you could actually have different ways to connect with different consumers. Um, when I think of that spectrum, mm. on one end of the spectrum, you have pure entertainment. Yeah. And on the other, other end of the spectrum, you have pure education. And so if it's pure entertainment, you, you know, it's, it's fun, it's engaging. But for a lot of parents, they view that as candy, right? I mean, it's, it's great. It's, it's, it's certainly fun. But you really not want to you know, have a 100% diet of candy for your kids, right? Like you're not going to give that to them. Mm -hmm. And on the other end of the spectrum is pure education. And a lot of it tends to be really rooted in 20th century, you know, kind of, I call it the uh, industrial education complex where it's boring, it's teachy and preachy, and it's not engaging. Mm -hmm. And actually it's focused on standardization and testing. So it's really not going to inspire kids. And I feel that somewhere in the middle of that spectrum, if you could truly find the way to fuse entertainment that engages and education where you truly learn something, I feel like that is kind of the, the, the blend that we're focused on. Would it be terrible if I used the word edutainment? Is that a Absolutely. Terrible? Absolutely. Because <laughs> that, that truly is the worst of both worlds, right? <laughs> 
and, 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 it's, and it's a really interesting space to be in because when you talk to entertainment people, they hear the words education and they like their hair goes up on their back. Like they right. just absolutely hate it because that immediately implies that it sucks. Right, right. And then when educators hear entertainment, they completely dismiss it because maybe they're snobbish about it and they're like, oh, that is not taken seriously. It doesn't have mm. pedagogy. Right. And so I just focus, again, back to direct to learner, back to you know, putting the customer at the center of all of this. You know, there is a way to have both. Mm. I mean, I have kids, like I know all of my friends, they want their kids to be entertained and learning something at the same time. And I think there's a way to do it. When you think of companies like Disney and Nickelodeon, who, you know, were also around in 2007 and, and are around today, are they, I often sort of wonder when, you know, when, when, we, when we talk to and about sort of, you know, next generation content companies, are they, are they more like Disney and Nickelodeon or less like Disney and Nickelodeon? How, how do you think about those guys? I mean, clearly they're going to be around in 10 years time. Are they going to be around in 25 years time? So... I feel that there's a lot of great headlines that are going to be clickbait, but the reality is it takes a lot to kill one of those large types of companies, right? right, right. And so those companies are are going to do fine, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly there is going to be ups and downs in the market and in, in certainly the business. I think media is always going to be challenged by technology. And so you'll see that, you know, kind of ebb and flow, mm. but these are all large companies. They're all diversified companies and, you know, Nickelodeon being part of Viacom, Viacom just merged with CBS, mm. you know, these are large entities Mm-mm-mm. and certainly Disney, you know, they're, they're, they're Disney, they're huge. So I feel that those companies will be fine but we are fundamentally approaching it differently. Like we right. are taking a very different approach and we're able to because we don't have legacy businesses. Mm. I mean, think about the most recent earnings call that Disney had a 91% drop in their earnings. You know, if they were just Disney Plus, they would look very different versus right. Disney right. Plus plus right. all of their um, you know, hotels and cruises and you know, all the other industries that have been affected. And so it's a fundamentally different business model. Mm. We approach our business very differently where we actually have subscriptions at the center mm. and then we complement it with content and then, you know, kind of licensing and merchandising uh, all around the consumer products that help bring it to life. You know, that's kind of the, um, you know, the outer ring, but it really is focused on subscription digital and physical fused experiences, mm-hmm. but it truly is driven by a subscription model. And that is a fundamentally different business versus right. a lot of the other companies that you mentioned. Which who are fundamentally, well, are not fundamentally, but, but certainly, you know, considerably ad focused or advertising driven, right? The, and, Very and much. So let's, let's talk about subscription because I'm fascinated by this in the family space, right? Because we've seen lots of different sort of variations. I mean, with, with, with your model, you know, of subscription, I mean, do you think mm-hmm. that time that expands in terms of encompassing sort of you know more products and services do you think it like gets um you're able to sort of merge that subscription fee with someone else's subscription fee how do you Mm -hmm. like you you, you've always got some of the most interesting views i know on this particular topic what what do you think that looks like so i'm a big believer in when you put the customer at the center you truly are trying to make their life easier and 
it really isn't what I think. It's more about like what is truly going to add value to the customer's life. And in this case, it's about kids and parents. So right. we're focused on family where mm-hmm. some other companies are like kids first or you know, we're focused on family first. And that's right. a very important distinction because mm-hmm. I fundamentally believe that family, that the, the family unit, the way that kids and parents have come together, they are closer together, they share similar interests, they're sharing music. It's just a fundamentally different approach to the way Gen Alpha is growing up. Um, and I, I think that when you, when you see how you could add value to the consumer, you want to be wherever it is that they need you to be. So we do not make the selection of here is what you have to take from us. We want to provide the menu of both physical and digital experiences. And then the way that you engage with us could be in passive ways and active ways. So think of it as a two by two matrix. So on that X axis, passive, I'm I'm sorry, physical and digital experiences, we have everything from, we start all of our brands with books and we actually became an independent um, publisher. So mm-hmm. we are now one of the largest publishers of kids and family focused uh, books that are certainly uh, the largest diver- you know, focus on diversity, equality, inclusion that's out there. So we're really proud to be that independent publisher. And it was by necessity because a lot of folks didn't really understand why we wanted to make these books. Right. Um, you know, they were like, oh, you don't have to have so many bells and whistles. Um, we really had a unique approach to kind of putting our content out there in a book format. So we hacked the system and we became our own publisher. That's the physical experience. The digital experience, that could certainly be everything from content. So it could be audio, you know, that you listen to on Spotify, or it could be video that you see on YouTube or Netflix or, you know, HBO Max or wherever else. And then it could be subscriptions, right? It could be apps. Um, But back to physical, maybe it's a subscription box. So we want to have that unified experience. And then there's times to lean back and there's times to lead forward. So that's the passive and active approach. And when you look at sort of the likes of, of, um, you know, your, your neighbors in LA, like Pocket Watch and, and, and the mm-hmm. folks over in Moonbug. Mm-hmm. Do, do you see them as sort of fundamentally similar or fundamentally different? So first off, I, you know, again, this space is so great because it's very collaborative. It is a small industry, as you know, we all know each other. I think what Chris is building at Pocket Watch is amazing and they have just crushed it with Ryan. They just launched a, or announced a new brand that they're gonna be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Chris is one of the smartest folks in the biz and they have a really interesting approach and they understand you know, certainly all the insights coming from a data-driven approach looking at YouTube. Um, so that's kind of their lane and they do it better than anyone. Moonbug, again, what, what, what Renee and the team that they're building there, they have a really interesting approach and they're looking to bring on a lot of IP that's you know, kind of coming from other sources. Mm. And you know, certainly they'll approach some of their own original IP, but they're also taking that kind of data-driven approach. And right. it's interesting that both of them kind of started out um, or you know, had similar experiences being at Makers together. Mm-hmm. So again, back to the small industry. Um, but we love what they're doing and we are taking a different path, right? We are building culturally authentic, original IP. You know, it's all created by us. So we're not bringing, um, we're not looking to acquire like other IP. It's all being done in house. So I think that's unique. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we build all of our brands with purpose as a B Corp. All of our brands have a social cause that gives back to the community in some way. So that's right. obviously a little bit different. And then certainly the business model where we're focused on subscriptions and then we certainly um, amplify it with content and consumer products. Um, but 
I, I feel that there's such demand for kids and family content that the space is certainly large enough for all of us to kind of provide something for kids and families today. For sure. And, I mean, you know, as you said, you've got the number one bilingual kids brand. I mean, what are like, and a lot of people listening mm -hmm. to this will probably have pretty limited experience in, you know, in bilingual brands. Like what, what are a couple of things that people would be surprised to know about that? I mean, in terms of, I don't know, like challenges of running the business model or challenges of expanding, mm -hmm. you know? Sure. Well, so the, so the fun thing is Canticos, which stands for Little Songs, yeah. um, it's, it's really this collection of all the most beloved nursery rhymes and songs from the Spanish speaking world but it was nominated for an Emmy and it is the two-time consecutive Kids Screen Award winner for best digital preschool series. Beating wow. out Sesame wow. Street two years in a row. So huh. this is not a bilingual brand only. Right. It right. was the best digital preschool series. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's an important distinction. You do not need to know Spanish to love this brand. These are cute chickies. It happens to be in English and Spanish. But the idea was, how do you create a beautiful nursery rhyme brand that is going to be culturally authentic and it will appeal to anyone that is of Hispanic origin? Mm -hmm. But also, if you're not Hispanic, it's cute chickies. You're learning another language. And you know, being bilingual makes you smarter. So it has all those 21st century learning literacy and life skills built into it. And this is actually a bilingual learning platform. Mm -hmm. So we're actually going to be releasing our Canticos app pretty soon, which is really exciting. And that app is a bilingual learning platform. Mm -hmm. So today it's English and Spanish, but tomorrow it could be French and English. It could be French and German. It could right. be was, Mandarin and English. I was, I was it's global. I was about to ask, I mean, you know, for, for, for kind of obvious reasons, you started sort of from a bilingual perspective, but, but that's your view. You, it's bilingual by, by principle rather than by origins. That's the, that the way to think about it. Very much so. I mean, the whole insight, and it might be different in Europe, but um, certainly it's different in Europe because in the States, you start to learn another language typically in the public school system right. in middle school, right? Sixth, seventh, and eighth grade but all the science says that the brain it has the most plasticity and you're most able to learn and absorb another language when you're eight and under. And so why would you wait until later years to learn another language and all the science says that being bilingual makes you smarter. Like mm -hmm. Your brain has to think and process language differently. So we want to have what we believe is the first bilingual brand where mm -hmm. you're able to learn two languages at the same time and actually the cherry on top is there's three languages. The third language is the language of music because it is uh, all about learning music and nursery rhymes and songs. And so we actually do teach music as well, but it is meant to learn two languages at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so those two languages at the beginning are gonna be English and Spanish just because in the United States, almost 30% of all kids are Hispanic. Mm. Um, but, and Spanish is the second most spoken language in the world mm. after, after Chinese, mm. but certainly as we expand and, and build out the platform, it can be other languages. And because it's really cute chickies and a great cast of characters that are beloved, it will travel globally. Yeah. You think, you think Cantigos can go to, to China? Um, Asia, Asia doesn't pre present a barrier, you don't think? Absolutely. I mean, um, so one of the fun facts is because we're putting these nursery rhymes and songs and we started with video um, and again, we're obviously digital first. Mm. We test and learn. So we're constantly beta testing. Mm. 
when we uh, put out the first uh, nursery rhyme song, we did it in not just English and Spanish, we actually put it out in eight languages. Cool. So we put it out in Mandarin and Japanese and Hindi and French and Portuguese, Italian, Spanish, and English. And the top outside of English and Spanish, mm. the, the next most popular language was actually Hindi and mm. Mandarin. Mm. And so we have been approached, uh, I mean, every kind of couple of weeks we're getting um, someone reaching out from China or somewhere in Asia asking to license our stuff. Obviously we haven't done any of that stuff yet. Um, but it's been interesting. There definitely is demand. Very interesting. Let's switch gears for a sec and, and talk about investment and, and investing in this space. Cause it's, it's, it's again, it's a topic you and I have, have kicked around over the years, right? Like it's, well, it's... Co coming from one of the masters, obviously, you know, you're, you're coming off an incredible monster round. So again, kudos to you for leading the way, my friend. Oh, no. Um, the, the, uh, it's standing on the shoulders of other people, but the, um, you've raised investment from, I, I mean, I'm always envious of your cap table because you've got some very, very cool and interesting people on it. And mm. I, I like, I'm, I'm, I'm so, I, I'm interested by one sort of what they see in, um, in Cantos and, where, and what you're building. And um, two, you know, why did you pick those investors? Um, and actually, let's throw in there a third. Like, what, what do you feel kind of the, the general kind of kid tech, digital kids investment landscape is like today? Yeah. Well, Again, you really have set the groundwork with um, with a lot of the things that you've done. It's super awesome. And I think a lot of people just didn't have any idea about kid tech in general, right? Obviously, lots of focus on ed tech, but less so on kid tech. And so uh, the credit goes to you to really um, kind of help create that space. I think the most important thing that we look for an investor, because capital is a commodity. You know, I started my career in finance, so I, right. I know a lot of folks in, in, in the financial world. And like, if we just wanted money, like you could go out there and certainly get money. Mm. But because we are a purpose-driven company, because mm. we are actually a public benefit corporation, and that's written into our bylaws, that we not just focus on shareholder value, think about stakeholder value, right. and triple right. bottom line of people, right. you know, uh, profits and planet, you know, we really want folks that understand the impact that we want to have in the world. Mm. So that really is the starting point. Mm. And that is, um, it's a really great um, way to sift out who truly believes in what we're doing in our mission to help inspire kids to learn 21st century skills and who doesn't. Right. And, and I feel like that is really the most important uh, step because it's a very quick conversation. I want to know, do you believe or not? And if you don't, then that's great. You know, we can stay friends, you know, happy to keep you updated. Mm -hmm. But like, I don't want to spend time in cycles on folks that are going to question what it is that we're building and why. Right, right. Um, you know, the second thing is we are building brands. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important to distinguish that. You know, what is a brand, right? Like, you understand it viscerally, right? Like Apple obviously is a brand that is beloved. You know, people get tattoos of that or Nike or Harley Davidson. These are brands that people love mm. and we are building beloved and trusted brands. And that is really important to us because we have a thesis that a lot of the institutions that we've grown up with are failing us, whether it's government, whether it's education. And so our thesis is that increasingly consumers, families, millennials, they are going to look for trusted brands that are going to fill in the gaps that aren't being provided by the institutions that 
should be traditionally filling in those needs. And there's going to be this desire to kind of have enrichment or enhancement. And it's only going to happen with brands that you believe in, that you mm -hmm. trust, and that actually share your values. Mm -hmm. And so we are experts in brand building. You know, my co-founder and, and partner in purpose, Susie Jaramillo, she ran one of the most successful creative agencies. It was one of the top five multicultural creative agencies working with world-class brands. I've worked with world-class brands from Walmart and P&G and Coca-Cola and Kraft and Heineken. And so understanding the art of building a brand that people love is critical. And I think that's part of the reason why we've had a lot of folks that have invested in us that are believers in brand building. So we have the CMO of Facebook, Antonio Lucio, who used to be the CMO of HP and the CMO of Visa. You know, we have um, uh, a wonderful advisor and investor of ours, Melanie Healy. She was the president of P&G. Uh, she's on the board of Target and Verizon and Hilton. You know, these are people that understand the value of brands. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to convince them. They actually, you know, they're rooting right. for us so that we can build out those brands. Right. And then, you know, most importantly, we want folks that are going to be committed to the journey because as you know, any type of startup, any type of entrepreneurial endeavor, you know, it is not a straight line, you know, up and to the right, you know, it's going to be lots of ups and downs. And so we want people that are going to be there for the long term. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's still a cap table of some amazing names and an amazing set of endorsements, you know, in terms of, of, of where you guys are going. Um, we got to wrap this up, but I want to ask one last question, Stephen. Like when you, oh. when, when, when you go for, I mean, maybe we're going to have to do a part two, like <laughs> early, you know? whenever you want me, <laughs> well, maybe, maybe when we can travel again, um, when you go forward in time in your head, you know, two years, three years, what do you want in Cantos to look like? Sure. So when you hear the words 21st century skills, we want you to think of Encantos, right? We want that brand association. That is the North Star. And it's easier said than done. But when you think of, okay, I want my kids to learn the learning skills that are required for you to be successful in the 21st century, you know, creativity, collaboration, communication, critical thinking, those are you know, the four C's of 21st century learning. When you think of literacy skills, of course there's you know, vocabulary and numbers, but there are a whole host of different literacy skills that kids need. Environmental literacy, financial literacy, health and wellness, um, certainly not just STEM, but STEAM literacy. And then when you think about arguably the most important area are life skills. Mm -hmm. So think of how are kids learning resilience and grit? especially in you know, a pandemic economy? Right. How are they learning entrepreneurship and leadership? How are they learning confidence and curiosity and these social emotional skills where, you know, especially here in the States, it's such an epidemic. When a boy is rejected by a girl, they don't go into a school and shoot it up, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So these social emotional skills, these life skills are so critical. That is for me, 21st century skills. We want to be the brand associated with that. And when you look at our portfolio of family brands, we are not going to have hundreds of brands. We're going to have a portfolio of, you know, maybe a dozen or more, but each of those brands are going to own that space. So when you think of bilingual learning, you're going to think of Canticos. When you think about being a global citizen mm -hmm. and understanding about the world and culture and certainly learning about geography and language, you're going to think tiny travelers. When you think about food, and you know, certainly the love of cooking, the science of ingredients and nutrition, or learning about you know, where is food from and culture from around the world, 
you're going to think about Issa's Edible Adventures. Mm. These are the brands that we're building and we want to be associated with 21st century skills. An incredibly uplifting way to end this episode of Kid Tech. Stephen Wolf Pereira, CEO of Encantos, thank you so much for joining us today. Gracias, mi amigo. And just keep up the great work and thank you for all you do for our industry. Oh, dude. I mean, you as well.